Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to this episode of What's Next, where I have the wonderful pleasure of welcoming back for the second time, Liz Fosling. She was such a great guest. She's got a new book out, so I knew I wanted to talk to her again, but she is the head of content and communications at Humu, a company that makes it easy for teams to improve every single week. She has designed and led sessions related to emotions at work for audiences, including TED, LinkedIn, Google, Viacom, and Spotify. Her writing and illustrations have been featured by The Economist, Freakonomics, and NPR, but really that doesn't matter because I use it and that's all that matters, along with everyone else. Everyone has seen Liz's drawings for sure. She is the co-author and illustrator of the best-selling books, Big Feelings, How to Be Okay When Things Are Not Okay, which came out in April of 2022, and No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work. Welcome to the show, Liz. Thanks so much for having me and for sharing my illustrations. It is the best seal of approval that you use them. Well, the trick is you got to see it, share them first. It's like, you know, all of a sudden it's like it comes up and Adam Grant shares it and I, Dan Pink shares it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I don't want to share it now. I, oh. I want to share it first. So you got to get a jump on it. Um, but as you know, we have to start off my podcast with something I call bullish and bearish. If you remember, bullish is you're for it, bearish is you're against it. Nothing too painful, no politics, no religion, just fun questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. I think. All right. So bullish and bearish. AI illustrations. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go bearish just because it really freaks me out. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, it is sort of job security that that doesn't yeah, happen. I, mean, happen I, really I well. think truly they're getting extremely good, but that, it, yeah, it's unsettling. Yeah. I feel like the day it can take unstructured data and then think about what the key points are. Yeah. And <laughs> okay. We'll move on. We'll move on. All right. Bullish or bearish virtual reality amusement park. Huh. I'm going to go bullish as you know, I was obsessed with the Sims growing up. So, you know, I think if it just is heightened experience of that bullish. All right. And the last one also fun, bullish or bearish time travel. Ooh, I'll go bullish. I think it's possible. It, these all, I'm, I think I'm fundamentally bullish on all of these, but they also make me nervous. <laughs> so, I, I, go I don't that. know what I'll the broader implications are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess the next question would be, if you could time travel anywhere, which way would you go? Probably the future. I think wow. just as, as a woman going into the past makes me nervous. <laughs> it's like, oh, I yeah, don't know the what's going The past, like next, last week. But we yeah. can just, we can, yeah. we'll just play I know, right I think it's that. actually happening sorry. as we speak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry, sorry. I always promise not to do that on this podcast. Yeah. So I apologize. Okay, you can turn the volume back up or hit play again. I apologize. All right. So let's dig in. Let's dig into your new book, Big Feelings, How to Be Okay When Things Are Not Okay. I mean- it's been a tough, not okay couple years and not to sort of, you know, hash what got us here. But I know that you were working on the book in the middle of this. Did something change going in or what was the catalyst, I guess, for you to say, it's time for us to follow up, you know, no hard feelings? Yeah. So interestingly, it actually, we started working on this book, my co-author Molly and I, 
in the fall of 2019. So No Hard Feelings, which looks at emotions at work, came out in February 2019. And then Molly and I both in our personal lives, ironically, started dealing with really hard feelings. So I was losing my father-in-law to cancer. And then also it was just got like I was commuting three hours a day to work, which I highly do not recommend. Um, and so we came up with this idea of yeah, what would be a book about these thornier emotions that also exist in the workplace, like anger, perfectionism, um, envy. And we pitched it to our publisher portfolio at Penguin. And again, this is fall of 2019. And they were like, you know, this seems like kind of a depressing book. What's the <laughs> audience for it? And we, you know, we, we like we like them a lot. Um, but at the time, it just wasn't, didn't really resonate. And then fast forward to... It was April 2020, so pandemic had hit. There was a lot going on, and they reached out again and said, "Remember that book about hard feelings? We think there's an audience for it now." <laughs> so, <laughs> what changed for us was truly the pandemic. But then, even as the pandemic went on, and then, I mean, there's like I could point to 20 different things that caused really intense emotions over the past two years, and so I think we noticed people just more. I don't even want to say was willing to share their emotions also at work, but feeling like they had to, like it was impacting them so much that you could no longer even pretend that you were fine. Also, people were starting to work, you know, from their living rooms, from their kitchens. Um, there was so much going on that any semblance of barrier between work and life really started to dissolve. Yeah. And I think that that leads nicely to, you identified kind of seven big feelings. We're not going to go through all of them today, but chapter one was uncertainty. And I think the last two years have just been heightened uncertainty. Like just personally uncertain of what I do for a living is travel on an airplane and go visit clients around the world and speak around the world. And it's very not, not at home in my home office, but also not at the office. Like, it, you know, my office was sort of 30,000 feet. So all of a sudden I was uncertain <laughs> as to, okay, where's my value? What am I going to do? How do I quickly reinvent myself, stand up a studio in my house? Like it was very, oh, and I don't know how to do that. And so all of a sudden I felt very, very uncertain. And so mm -hmm. what, what is that emotion? How do we deal with it? What, what did you find? Yeah. So the emotion that underlies uncertainty is usually anxiety. And what's interesting is if you look through the, um, the what we call emotions in the book to uncertainty and then perfectionism and comparison. So three, they aren't really emotions and people sometimes point this out. But when we talk to people about anxiety or envy, the response was okay. People were like, yeah, I feel those things once in a while. But when we would say comparison or uncertainty, we had this overwhelming response from people. So it was interesting that they were able to identify the behavior that they were engaging in, which is comparison or the situation, which is uncertainty, but then still felt like that was a bit disconnected from the emotion underneath it. But going back to uncertainty, it's usually very tied to anxiety. So humans hate not knowing what's going to happen next. There's research that shows we would rather know for sure that something bad is going to happen tomorrow than have a 50% chance of that something bad happening. It's just like, if we know it's going to happen, we can plan for it. We feel like we have control. So we just really don't like variability. Um, and as you mentioned over the past two years, tomorrow has always been a question mark. 
But I think one of the things in our research as we were looking at ways to better cope with uncertainty and navigate it, the most powerful phrase that I came across was, I am a person learning to blank. And this happened when my company went remote. I remember I put so much pressure on myself that first week to be an incredible manager for a remote team, to have all the answers, to assure everyone everything was going to be fine. And I probably showed up to my first couple of meetings like a complete robot, you know, like everything is fine, everyone, we're going to get through this. And then I found that phrase and then started to say to myself, I'm a person learning to manage in a remote setting during a global pandemic, and there's not a playbook for this. And that just allowed me to give myself a lot more grace and also switched me to a growth mindset. So I started to ask my team, hey, I don't have all the answers. Help me. Give me feedback. What's working well? What's not? What ideas do you have? Which just ended up being a better experience for everyone. So instead of putting all this pressure on ourselves to be like, I need to have this figured out right away, saying like, I'm a person learning to adapt within this new environment. Yeah. And I think that you know, while uncertainty is terrifying, <laughs> like you'd rather know the bad thing. Yep. But it also is freeing when you find a way to accept is way too strong of a word. I don't know the right word, right? But sort of embrace uncertainty. Maybe that's a better mm -hmm. word. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it also it's a really powerful way of building confidence. I'm sure for you, looking back at the last two years, you've done things you never expected yourself to be able to do. You have made it through the two years. And so hopefully, you know, in this massive period of uncertainty, people can take some comfort in that of, wow, there's resilience within me that I might not even have known that I had. Yeah. And I think, listen, it was, it was terrifying exhilarating, um, terrifying, <laughs> yeah. exhilarating. Just switching between those two. Yeah. And, you know, even sometimes in the same hour, like, you know, yeah. I didn't even give myself a second to enjoy the exhilaration. Yeah. I was like, I was already back into full blown panic. But I also think that it, it, this, to your point of that first week, did people overcompensate for the fact that they were so uncertain? So it was more of a, I, I am not confident that I know my way through this. I, I am uncertain. I, you know, I am nervous. I am anxious. I am all those things, but I'm going to overcompensate for that. Um, yeah. And maybe that leads a little bit into that perfectionism. Yeah. So the overcompensation is very common and it's something, it drives us to do what psychologists call anxious fixing which is we feel this anxiety in the face of uncertainty. And so we want to claw back some control and we just start doing things. And that might be you wake up, you feel bad. You don't really understand why you're scared about what's going to happen tomorrow. So you do, you know, you empty the dishwasher, you vacuum the carpet, you go through your entire inbox and get to inbox zero. You're responding to DMs. You're just doing all this stuff in this frenzy and the problem with that is you're not actually addressing the root cause of your anxiety. So at the end of the day, you've burned yourself out, but you also haven't really gotten to what you really need, which is this confidence in yourself that whatever happens tomorrow, you will be okay. So the advice we give, if you find yourself in this like overcompensating, anxious fixing cycle is actually just to stop 
And again, say like, I'm a person learning to X and then really think about what am I afraid of? So it's a better question than I just feel all this anxiety. It's like, what specifically do I fear? And that can also help you start to take a couple steps that to be proactive, what would I do in that situation? Um, and that can give you some more confidence and actually help you feel better, much better than just frantically vacuum cleaning the floor for all day, even though it like feels productive. Well, yeah. I mean, being busy is one thing. Being busy going nowhere is right. another. Yeah, exactly. I think that also during uh, the these sort of seven big feelings is I found myself really reflecting, which I don't mm. think I had done a lot of because I was just so busy, you know, like I was mm -hmm. in the moment living, 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 like doing, 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 doing. I didn't take much time to reflect. And I feel like if you go through these seven feelings, which, you know, we're, we're going to hit on a couple other of them, but the seven are uncertainty, comparison, anger, burnout, perfectionism, despair, and regret could all happen in one day, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they let's, usually let's, don't yeah. show up in yeah. isolation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I feel like in each of those reflection really helped me navigate through this uncertainty. Like, okay, <laughs> I have a roof over my head. Mm -hmm. I have food in my refrigerator. You know, I have family and friends you know, the things I was dealing with in comparison to what else was going on in the world was nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I felt like that reflection really helped me, um, to get out of this, what is the worst that could happen? And will I be okay if the worst happens, happens. Mm -hmm. And and once I could kind of sit in that and say, yes, will I be disappointed? Will I be sad? Will I be all of those things? Of course. But you know, it, it's not life or death for me. Yeah, that was it's a big theme in the whole book. So in every chapter and for every emotion is this idea of these emotions are very stigmatized. So we surveyed 1500 people from all around the world and asked them if they'd ever heard of these emotions described as bad. And 99.9% .9 of people said yes. And then we asked if they had felt any of these emotions in the last week or month. And people, 99.9% .9 of people also said yes. So we, one, everyone experiences these. And two, we also consider them negative. Um, emotions aren't good or bad. They're just signals. They're sort of based on data that our brain is taking in. And so exactly to your point, when we immediately self-blame or label them as bad, we also then are motivated to run away from them. When in fact, what's most useful is to sit with them to understand what it's trying to tell us, to rationalize with it. And that's ultimately what's going to help us feel better as opposed to like suppressing, pretending like it doesn't happen. Uh, and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to sit with it. It feels bad, but it's actually a really productive activity. Well, and you started out this conversation by saying, you know, maybe the pandemic, or maybe you said it more forcefully than the word maybe, but the pandemic created a very different space for conversations, I think, all up, like friends, family, coworkers. Sometimes the friends and family opened up for dialogue, <laughs> ended up ending relationships and severing relationships, right? So, you know, it's not always good that you get that safe space. Sometimes it's good to not know what people think about certain topics. 
But if you if you think on the positive side of it, this sort of space where you might be having a conversation with people on your team that work for you at work that you may never have felt was permissible or even, you know, something to broach, you know, the social injustices and healthcare and access to things and all this, I feel like I I wonder in your point of view and through the research, do you think a lot of this will stick or do you think that people will revert back to where they may have felt a little more comfortable? I mean, I know habits have changed. We've been in this a bit, but I'm wondering what you think. Yeah, I I think in companies that value their people as their most important asset, uh, I think it will stick. It might shift a little bit back to what it was pre-pandemic, but generally, I think it's once you've opened the door to this conversation, it's actually really nice to know that, oh, my manager is also a human or the people around me also have bad days and that's okay and we can support each other and get through it. Um especially if we enter a recession in companies that don't care so much about their people, I think they're going to use that as an opportunity to go back to the way things were and shut down these conversations again. So it'll be interesting to watch over the next year, again, depending on the state of the economy, which companies try to continue these important conversations that are ultimately really good for any metric a business cares about, productivity, retention, performance, but I think we will see some companies kind of take a harsher stance and try to go back to what they feel comfortable with, which was fewer emotions at work um, or pretending like there are not emotions at work. There always are. There always will be. Um, you, you can't, you know, we're emotional creatures. If you're taking a shower, walking around the block at work, you're going to have feelings. Yeah. And I think we've seen some of that revert back, especially on the work from home sort of mandates. You know, that's that kind of, oh yeah, you have a better quality of life. To your point, Liz, you're not commuting three hours a day, you know, all of those (laughs) things, right? It's like, yeah, don't really care about that. You need to come back to the office. Right. And I think that's a, that's a signal that maybe um, they're not paying attention. Um, But I do want to make sure we spend a little bit of time on burnout because I I think that that is definitely one of those big feelings I had uh, that I had not really experienced before. Trust me, Mm. like I flew 275,000 miles in 2019. Like, and people might say, oh my God, right. Aren't you burnt out? It's just like, that was just, that's just kind of what I do. I thrived in it. I I took time when I wasn't, you know what I mean? Like I, I had a balance in that. While it sounds like a lot, and trust me, it is a lot, there is a way to get through it without just completely being exhausted. I felt much more burnout <laughs> working from home for two years because all of a sudden I was available from a time zone perspective globally that I wasn't if I was traveling, right? Because I was going somewhere versus I need to take do a webinar at 11 p.m. because that's the time it works for. Now, yes, of course, I could have said yes, or I could have said no. I understand there are boundaries. However, going back to, I was trying to, with this uncertainty, show up mm-hmm. initially, yeah. right? Uh, but I think that through this productivity, the conversation of burnout was on everybody's lips. CEOs, earnings calls, blogs, webinars, keynotes, et cetera. What, what did you find in, in burnout that you were either really surprised at or, or had some hope around? Yeah, so two things. I think one was it was great to see burnout become a topic of conversation in spaces where it had never been brought up before. 
burnout is not new, but it's new that we're speaking so openly about it. But what I did see was a lot of organizations treating it as, hey, we rolled out a meditation app, go in the corner, meditate for five minutes, deal with your burnout, and then come back and you'll be fine. And it's, you know, it's like, well, that's not really going to work. So one of the most important things is just, it's a lot easier to not burn out if you're in an environment that helps you invest in your well-being. So just the importance, and this is a question that Molly and I get a lot of, is this book self-help? And yes, to a certain extent, but we also acknowledge just the structural forces that really impact how resilient you can be. So there are things that you can do for yourself. So one is drawing better boundaries, um, you know, really taking the time on the weekend to do what re-energizes you. But you also need to be working at an organization that is going to support you in investing your well-being. So that is as a team, maybe setting aside an afternoon every week where it's like, we're going to have no meetings so that you have time to get your work done. It's going to be team-wide so you don't feel pressure. The manager actually takes vacation and isn't sending you emails the entire day when they're on quote unquote vacation. Those are all things that are going to make it easier for you to combat burnout. So I think it's really important. It's great that we've started the conversation, but also to make sure that we're involving managers and leaders in creating these better environments rather than just putting all the onus on the individual, which is just not going to be effective long run. Yeah. And I think you've, you've added something uh, in the book called the big feelings assessment, which may Mm -hmm. be a place where people can go to assess either as I'm making an assumption here, right? An individual or a team, maybe you can share that, uh, what, what the thought was behind the assessments. Yeah, so we have a couple. So two that I would really direct people towards. One is our burnout inventory. It's based on the Maslach burnout inventory, which is sort of the first clinical evaluation of whether or not you're burnt out and also goes through different shades of burnout. So we use the term burnout to mean many, many things like I'm tired, I didn't sleep well, I have too much work, I feel disengaged. And so the assessment will help you figure out exactly what it is. Like, yeah, do you no longer find your work meaningful? Do you feel disconnected from your coworkers? Those are two different experiences that require two different solves. The other one I would point people towards is our uncertainty tolerance assessment, which helps you understand some people are fine with uncertainty. So we call those uncertainty seekers. And some people really like routine, don't like things to be up in the air. And those are uncertainty avoiders. And especially if you're a team, it's valuable to take this and understand people's tolerance levels, because as a manager, you might thrive in uncertainty. But if all your reports are uncertainty avoiders, you probably need to take some more steps to help them feel safe, to help establish a plan that they can follow, outline next steps, that kind of thing. So it's really useful to understand your different tendencies so that you're not inadvertently creating more anxiety within your team. Yeah. And, and I think, listen, doing assessments is super helpful. Uh, you know, I've had a number of guests on who talk about self-awareness and sometimes you may not be aware, like even as you were just describing that, I do not think I am a seeker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly not. Yeah. I, I love routine. <laughs> yeah. I like routine. Um, it's like when Adam Grant came on and he was talking about, are you an introvert or an extrovert? And I'm like, you know, people would yell, you are an extrovert. And when he got done describing it, I'm like, I think I'm an introvert. Like, yeah. right. And then, so then I asked him, can you be both? He's like, no, you know, <laughs> <I was> like, 
okay, whatever. I think I'm both, but you know, in certain circumstances, I'm an extrovert, you know, in certain circumstances, I'm an introvert, but really you're an introvert working hard to be an extrovert. It's not that you play in both roles. So do I think I'm a seeker ever? Do I think I straddle that fence? Mm, I don't, I don't, I would say I do not think I'm a seeker. And, and I think a lot of that, I mean, even if you talk about being an entrepreneur, people ask me all the time, why, why don't you just like go out on your own and like be an entrepreneur? I'm like, oh yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. yeah like, my blood just, pressure couldn't yeah, handle it. <laughs> right, it's way more pressure than I can handle. Like I like my paycheck. I like my health insurance. Yeah. I like the certainty with that. And in, yeah. and the upside, whatever people think that might be, is not worth that heightened level of uncertainty, which you just clearly described me as where I would never want to be. Okay. Then the next one. Um, uh, so I would say take those assessments. I think being self-aware of, of really in your depths of your soul, what motivates you, where you have, you know, spots that might actually give you comfort in knowing you are or are not the things you think you are. Uh, assessments are great. And then you've got um, sort of round out the book, a um, list of uh, general resources and resources um, by chapter. What what resources have you found now since you know the launch of the book that people are taking most advantage of? I would say actually the assessments. We've had a really good response to those. And then it's been really nice to hear actually managers going to a lot of the resources. So really starting to internalize this message of you have a lot of control over whether or not your people feel anxious, burnt out, that kind of thing. Um, So I think mostly the resources that seem to resonate with people are very actionable. So um, I think we linked to some books that we've really enjoyed. We linked to some podcasts that are helpful on the, on talking through big feelings. But for me, what stuck out most is what I've been most hopeful about is the response from managers of like, okay, I do want to do something. I want to have a broader impact in helping people thrive at work. And I think even when you talk about managers, you know, I, I often say that high performer individual contributors who get promoted to managers aren't always good managers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a a weird promotion system. It's just like, Oh, you're great at your job. Now we're going to give you this job that requires often a completely different skill set and we might train you. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well said, Liz, well said. Right. And so I remember the first time I got quote unquote managerial duties. This was in a different time. There wasn't Ted talks and podcasts and the web and it was okay. What book can I read? Who can Mm -hmm. I talk to? You know? And so I think if you're a manager out there, you aspire to be a manager, you're a first time manager or you're a long time manager. I think it is your responsibility if you've got manager and you're managing people that you always make sure you show up with as much as you can, mm-hmm. doesn't have to be perfect, but mm-hmm. as much as you can to show that you are willing to go on this journey with your people and learning is one of those areas. I mean, I don't know. Hopefully you agree with that statement. Yeah. I think that's where it's useful to say I'm a person learning to become a great manager. Uh, I think often people are thrust into a leadership position and then think as a leader, I need to have all the answers. And so I'm not going to admit that I don't know something. I'm not going to ask questions. I'm just going to pretend that I know it all and I'm very confident. And that's actually very detrimental to your team, yourself, your own growth. 
Well, Liz Foslin, thank you so much for your time today to talk about Seven Big Feelings. I think it's just a great book uh, for people to get their hands on. Again, Big Feelings uh, is her latest and No Hard Feelings was the previous book that we had on a podcast. So maybe what I'll do is I'll launch them back to back so you can get No Hard Feelings and then get Big Feelings right behind it. Um, but Liz, thank you as always for coming back on the show. You're a welcome guest anytime. And I'm going to put you on the spot, but I feel like you're going to have to do a little sketch for this show, I think. <laughs> All right. Even if it's um, two little circles. I don't know, something. I feel like amazing. I need to get one out that I get out before everybody else gets out. <laughs> All right. I'll think All about right. it. Thank All you right. so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Well, Liz, how can people keep in touch? You know, obviously you're big on Instagram, big on LinkedIn also on Twitter, anything, anyplace else? Yeah, social media or just Liz and Molly, M-O-L-L-I-E.com. The assessments are all on the website too. So some people prefer to take them online than in the book. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Liz, for joining us on the What's Next podcast. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Bye. What a great conversation with Liz Fosline. I hope you enjoyed the entire thing Big feelings are big feelings, uncertainty, comparison, anger, burnout, perfectionism, despair, regret. Feels like the last two years for sure. What I also want to make sure is that you guys go out and take one of those big feelings assessments. Take a look at the resources. If you're a manager, spend time in it, spend time with your people talking about these things. Uh, there's never a better time than right now. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the What's Next podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, tell your friends, leave a review. Have a great rest of your day.